So let me let me pray first, and then we'll we'll kind of do a small little minute long review review, and then we'll we'll head on. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. We know that you've promised it doesn't return void. We we know that it is sufficient for bringing people to Christ and for those that are in Christ, encouraging them to continue to walk in Christ. We know that it's all we need. And so we thank you for that. I pray, God, for myself and everyone here that as we as we look at your word this morning, <clears throat> as we as we talked about last week this is not like any other book it's living and active and so we can read anything but your word is the book that when we read it it reads us it shows us the places it shows us where we're not trusting christ it shows us the places where we don't willingly choose to reflect his glory and so god i pray that um, as we look at it that you would convict us, that you would bring us to repentance. But more than anything, we thank you so much for the gospel that we know that we are completely righteous because of Christ if we're in Jesus, that there is no performance needed. There is only hoping and trusting in what's been done. It's not based on what we do. It's always based on what's been done. There is no to-do list in order to have a right relationship. It's the to-done list. It's what you have done 2,000 years ago. And now, because of that righteousness, we get to live out in glad submission and worship to your word. So Lord, be with us now. Comfort us, convict us, all the things that, that we need, Lord, in order to bring you the most glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking about the mission, and uh, I'm going to put it up here on the screen behind me and read it to you just so you can kind of know where it is. Um, and he, here, just I want to point out something really obvious. Every mission statement of every church wants to accomplish three major things, and you can see it here. Um, Remedy Church exists to glorify God. I mean, that is the absolute essential element of churches. We are here, and our lives are here, and churches, and every person that's a believer has been put on earth um, and has been saved by God, every believer, in order to do something, to bring glory to God. That is the highest end to which we were all created. So Remedy Church exists to glorify God. That's the first thing. Um, and all three things are to bring glory to God, to see the people that are in the church be grown up in their faith and become stronger believers, and the third thing that every church must do is reach out to those that don't know Christ so, and make them a disciple, make them a follower of Christ. That's the three things every church wants to do. Worship Christ disciple its believers, and see those who are unbelievers come to know Christ. And all three of those things must, must be held in balance. You can't focus in on one and neglect the other two. And so this is our, our mission statement. Remedy Church exists to glorify God by calling all peoples into fellowship with Him. You can see that's building up our disciples or building up the people that are in Christ with Him and with one another through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're also calling people to come into this fellowship to become believers. And we exist to glorify God. Now, every church has awesome mission statements. This is just ours. Um, and this is how we've written it. Um, and this is what we believe uh, God has called us to do. Now, <clears throat> the way we're going to accomplish the, this mission statement, the way we're going to accomplish the three things that every church must do um, is through 
the way the things that God has laid on our heart as, as most important. And we call these our core values. So we believe that if we, um, with everything we can, pursue these five core values, we will accomplish this mission statement. Um, and you can see them up here right now. Last week we talked about scripture and worship. Um, and just to give you a, an understanding of what I mean, we believe that if we pursue scripture, like we, we love scripture as much as we possibly can, and we believe in what's known as the sufficiency of scripture, we, we take that as, as one of our five core values, that we glorify God with that, that he, as we read it, shows us places that we need to become better worshipers of him. And as we read scripture, we see that we're supposed to make disciples. We're supposed to um, bring people in that are not believers and people that are believers and build them up. And so if we if we believe in and love the, script, the scriptures and, believe, and teach the sufficiency of scripture, then we believe that we can accomplish that mission statement. Now, that's one way. And we have five. So that's <clears throat> you can kind of see what we're trying to do is um, really do all five of those core values really well. And as we concentrate on each one of those things um, in different ways, whether it's in the local gathering on Sunday morning or it's in our community groups or it's just you individually, if we can do those things, then we will accomplish this mission statement. So last week we talked about scripture and worship. This week we're going to talk about missional living and service. Now, one of my main goals I have today, um, if these two, if these words are new to you, service obviously shouldn't be, but missional living might be, um, what I want you to see today, because missional living has become kind of a big buzzword uh, here lately um, in church world. I want you to see today that these two things are absolutely not the same thing. Sometimes we'll think that missional living and service are the same thing. Missional living means that my life is to be lived on mission for God. If I, my life is to be lived on mission, that means I want to be a missionary um, and go into other places, uh, like, just like a missionary. If, if a missionary goes over to Southeast Asia, when he or she gets there, they learn the culture around them, and then they, they want to take the gospel, and they want to plant the gospel in that particular culture, living as a person in that culture, and seeing how they can contextualize that gospel. Um, they don't change the gospel. They don't change the message. They simply contextualize it in there. And that's, that's basically what missional living is. But some of you have grown up in this culture, like me, your whole life. And so maybe you haven't thought really, really well on how to contextualize the gospel in a culture that you have always lived in. So that's what we mean by missional living. And then we also want to talk about service. Now, service is not missional living. Not at all. And so we're gonna, we're gonna, sh I'm gonna hopefully gonna be able to, um, as best of my ability, let you see what I mean by whenever we finally get to John 5. But, um, the first thing, uh, that I wanna do is ask this question. And if you're going through the Ephesians study with us right now, um, you would have studied it this week. But in Ephesians chapter 4, um, there's something I want us to see before we go into, uh, today talking about missional living first. Um, this room and the setup now of rooms in America, or maybe even really all over the all over the world, and I've not been to every country in the world, can be quite deceiving. It can be quite deceiving. Um, and what I mean is this. You come into a room, and if this is your first time in church, if you've never necessarily thought about it, um, the room's set up, like here's the stage. 
So everybody that gets to be on the stage are the important people. These are the people that really know how to do church. If you get to play the drums, if you get to play the, the bass or the piano or, or guitar, well, those are the people that kind of run the church. Those are the people that do the stuff of the church. But you, you're supposed to sit in these chairs and you're supposed to face front at me. And this is how it's supposed to be. Like, y'all are the, the those sometimes being entertained, but hopefully not. I'm, I don't think I'm very entertaining. But you're the ones that are kind of watching the real work of ministry happen up here on the high stage. And that's just quite deceiving of what we think about church. Now, I'm for the gathering. I think it's important that we come together on Sundays and we sing together and we worship together and all those kinds of things. But if we're not careful, the construction of the room might shape the way we think of church in that, um, okay, since when I come to church, I sit out there and I watch those people do the work of ministry on Sunday morning Whenever I leave, I can, I can, I, I, I keep thinking, alright, the work of the church is the people that are on the stage. My work is to come on Sundays and sit and watch them do the work every Sunday, and then I can go do my deal, and then I can come back and I can put my money in the offering plate again next Sunday and watch them run the church. And, and so the construction of the stage and the, the way we're in this room can be deceiving if you're not careful. Because that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be designed. That's not biblical. The work of the ministry Sometimes, yeah, it happens here on Sunday, but that's only a part of the church. The church is not a building at all. The church is the people. So you are just as much of the church as anybody that's ever on this stage. So who does the work of ministry? Who does the work of ministry? Matter of fact, let me ask it this way. This might even be more tricky. Who's the minister? Who's the minister? Is it me because I'm ordained and I went to seminary? Or is it all of us? Have every single one of us, and we're going to see this in 2 Corinthians 5, been given a ministry and been made ministers, or if you want, ambassadors. So let's not let this um, construction of this room confuse us about who is the minister or who's supposed to do the work of ministry. And further, what's my job? What am I supposed to do? What's my primary job? Let's look at this in Ephesians, and I want you to see it. This is Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. This is going to serve as our introduction as we talk about core value number three, missional living. Let's look at this. Ephesians 4, 3. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And if you've always thought that the pastor does the work of the ministry, and I want my, per- my, my friend to get saved, so I'm going to bring him to church on Sunday, and go get him, pastor. You preach it good this day so that they can get saved. I want you to erase that mentality completely, because that's not how it's... I mean, that might happen, and Lord, if, if the Lord grants it, and all you can do is bring yourself to do an invitation, <laughs> and you can't actually speak the gospel, because that's where you are spiritually, that's fine. And I'm not going to like, come on, grow up, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to give you grace there, and if the Lord saves him here, awesome. But, I really want you to think, I can tell them the gospel just as easy as Fud can on Sunday morning. Alright, look at this, and this is why I believe that. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 tells me as the pastor what my work is, and it's not to tell you to bring all your people to get saved and let me save them, or God save them through me. Look at this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. All right, so there's, there's the giftings. There's the people in the church that are maybe the leadership, if you will. And look what my job is. He gave these people to, look what my job is, to, to preach the gospel so everybody gets saved? No. Look at this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's my primary job. My primary job. Now, I'm not negating the fact that I'm supposed to do what you do. 
Of course I'm supposed to go out and do the exact same thing. Preach the gospel to people that I meet and try to see them get saved. But my primary job is to equip you so that you and I, all of us, go out and do what I said, missional living. See people come to know Christ. So what I'm wanting to, and maybe this is some of you, a huge paradigm shift on how people get saved is, of course, Sunday morning invites. Of course. I mean, absolutely. But... Let's, let's shift our mind and say, how people get saved in my life is, this is revolutionary. You and I tell the gospel to them outside of these walls. But my job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. Did you know that uh, one of the recent polls said that 6 out of 10 people, 60% of Christians, Christians feel no obligation whatsoever to share their faith. 60% of Christians, they've actually admitted that. <laughs> like in the poll, yeah, I don't feel any obligation. Like, now I don't know if that's indicative of remedy. I, I really don't think it is, actually. Um, but I don't think that that's my job to take that statistic and just kind of beat you over the head with it. Like, come on, six out of ten of y'all. That's indicative of the pastor, because the pastor's the one who's supposed to equip you to do the work of ministry. So it's my fault. If that's the case in this church, it's not your fault. It's my fault because the job that I'm told to do in Ephesians 4.12 is to equip you to do the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. For building up the body of Christ. So that's, that's serving as my little intro as we go into this. So I want, to, I want you to kind of erase the mindset that salvation is always supposed to happen by me doing an invite. It can. And listen, I'm not trying to browbeat you and saying if that's how you've always done it or if that's what you feel if that's where you are in life i'm not saying come on and grow up listen i think that's awesome and if people come here and get saved on sunday morning incredible i mean bless god praise god for that and bless you for being courageous enough to give an invite i think that's awesome but i do think that since my job is to equip you to do the work of ministry that you and i are supposed to be hip to hip in this not kind of me out in front and you in the back saying, you do the work and we'll put our money in the offering plate on Sunday. No, no, uh-uh. We're hip to hip and we're all wanting to see people come to know Christ. We're all sharing the gospel freely with people that need Jesus. And we're all going to people that are Christians that need to become better Christians, that need encouragement, that need a word from the Lord out of the scriptures and say, I see you walking in this place. I've got a verse for you. Come here and let me encourage you in the gospel. We're all supposed to do that. If someone is in your community group in the hospital, yeah, I mean, I, I should go see him, sure. But so should you. See what I'm saying? So let me, let me give you a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of place where you can see this. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5 and spend a little bit of time in 2 Corinthians 5. And what I want you to see in 2 Corinthians 5 is, is a few things. There's, there's three things. And we're going to pick it up at 14. It's kind of... Three sections of things that I want you to see. Um, the first thing is uh, basically what's happened to us. The second thing is after what's happened to us, what's the work that's happening? What's God doing? Based on what's happened to us, what's God doing? And then the third thing, you don't have to put these up yet. Um, I don't want you writing yet. And the third thing is, all right, what's our job? All right, let's look at this. So here's 2 Corinthians 5 starting at 14. 2 Corinthians 5 starting at 14. We're going to see three things through this, and I'm going to point them out to you. First thing in 14. For the love of Christ controls us. I mean, do you think about that? When, is that how you consider your life? Now that you're in, in Christ, if you're a believer, He absolutely controls you. For the love of Christ controls us. 
Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. So if Jesus has died for all, what's the conclusion? Therefore all have died. If Christ Jesus has died for you, and you consider that to be true for you, you have died. You have died, therefore, if you're in Christ. And look what he says. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So if you're in Christ, Christ's love is supposed to control you, and you're no longer supposed to live for yourself, but for Christ. Now, look at 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no, no longer. Therefore, if you want an explanation of 16, just read 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So you're no longer supposed to consider yourself in the flesh and doing whatever you want. Now that you're in Christ, you're supposed to consider yourself a new creation. Christ's love controls you and you are supposed to live for him. Everything you do is supposed to be for him. For Christ's love controls us. Uh, I'm sorry, therefore, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So here's point one. You can see point one up here is this. I'm going to move out of the way so you can write it down. What happened? We're a new creation. That's what happened. That's what's happened. And, and you can go back in 14 and 15 and fill in all the other things. Christ's love should control us now. Therefore, we're supposed to live for him, not ourselves. Um, all these kinds of things. But basically what's happened is you've been made a new creation. That's what's happened. And as we can see that in 17. So here's the second thing. Now, based on the fact that you've been now made a new creation, let's talk about the second piece. All right. We all want to fast forward to that third one. So what's my job? What's my job? We're going to get there. All right. We're going to get there. Let's just look at what God's doing. All right. Let's look at what God's doing. Because that's what Paul wants to do first, is he wants to look at what God's doing. And then we can get to our job. And here's the most encouraging thing, because when we get to our job, obviously, you already know what it is. Make disciples. See people get come to Christ. We think, it's all up to me. It's all up to me. It's all in the presentation. It's all in the way I frame it. And if I, I might scare them away. Well, let's not miss this second piece. Because here's the deal. If you can understand the second piece, that third thing, our job, becomes so much easier and so much more encouraging. Let's look at this. All right. All this is from God. So all these things that have happened to us, our new creation, Christ's love controlling us, all this is from God. I'm at 518, by the way. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And look at, look at what he gave you. Here it is. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So there it is right there. You're a minister. All right. You are a minister. You've been given, just like I have, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody that's in Christ, not the pastors, but every, not the deacons, not the whatever, not the worship leader, but everybody that's in Christ has been given the ministry of reconciliation. You have just as much Holy Spirit in you. You have just as much power to lead people to Jesus as I do. Just as much. You have the teacher in you, the Holy Spirit. I'm not the teacher. The Holy Spirit's the teacher and you have him in you. And it says you have given us, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is, all right, this is, this is so key. I mean, it's okay to under, underline in your Bible. It's, this is just a Bible, it's just words, and it's not like crazy unspiritual to, to write in your Bible. And I encourage you to underline this little section. That is, here it is. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Right there. That, you may kind of pass by that, but we're going to come back to that little phrase when we get to our, that third thing, our deal. 
because it's absolutely crucial. And it's probably one of the most encouraging things as we think about our deal. And I want you to notice the verbs. God was reconciling the world to himself. Now, we know in Ephesians 1, it says that God has predestined those who would be saved from eternity past, from all the way from eternity past. God has determined those who would be saved. And now he's just carrying out that plan that he's talked about in Ephesians 1. And here it is, past tense. Paul's saying, God is reconciling the world to himself. Notice he uses the word reconciliation because he also says he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation. But he's also said, God is reconciling. He's given you something that he's already doing. We can already see where we're going, right? You can see that the encouragement that is in number three, because it's not all up to you. God's already doing it. But here we go. Here it is. God was reconciling the world to himself. Not What does reconciliation mean? What does that mean? Here it is. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Not counting their trespasses against them. We take a little, little, little break here um, because I want to talk about one little thing before I go into the third point. This is my favorite thing in the world to talk about. And I love my children and I love my wife. My favorite thing to talk about is the gospel. Every single one of us is in, is in Adam and every single one of us has freely, freely chosen to sin. You and I have freely chosen to sin against God. We willingly want to sin against Him. And from eternity past, God has been reconciling the world to Himself. And He's saying, even though you're my enemy, even though you have willingly chosen to walk away and rebel against me, I am going to reach out and pull you in and save you. I'm going to, all those sins that are against, that you're doing right now, I'm going to not count them. I'm going to act as if they never happened and pull you in. But that's a little bit of a shaky language, act as if they've never happened. You've heard that? Just as if I've never sinned is the kind of the definition for justification. Justification is that God declares you innocent. You are completely innocent. That's what justification is. And they say, well, just consider that just as if I've never sinned. Well, it's not entirely accurate. The reason why is because God did not act like if it never happened. He remedied the situation himself. He put his own son forward who lived a perfect life. And so all of the wrath that was built up to you and I, which we freely deserve because we freely chose sin, we were supposed to receive all the punishment for that sin rightly, He took it off of us and he put it all on his perfect son. So it's not like just as if I've never sinned. It is that I've sinned. And he instead pulled the punishment off of us and put it on Christ. And all of Christ's perfection, that perfect life he lived, was then therefore given to you. We're going to see this in just a second as we get to um, the rest of this text. So... This is what it means when we say not counting trespasses against them. When we talk about reconciliation, what we're talking about is the fact that God has shown the ultimate act of mercy in all of history by putting forward his own perfect son and putting all of his wrath on him on the cross. That was our death and giving us righteousness, giving us complete righteousness. You are holy 
now that you're in Christ. There is no, and that's why I prayed, there is no to-do list now for you in order to be in right standing. It's already been done 2,000 years ago. Now you and I walk in that truth. Just utterly beautiful. So the second thing is, is this. We need to know what's the work. What's the work is not necessarily us. We're going to get to that in a minute. But us, the work is, God is reconciling the world to himself. Or you should say God was reconciling, and he still is, of course. Was is. Was slash is. Do that one. Um, And then Paul, after he's told us what's happened and told us what God's doing, that's when he puts the therefore in verse 20. He he needs you to know all those things first. Now, over and over you're going to hear this, but whenever you see the word therefore, you need to stop and ask, what is is that word therefore, therefore? All right, so it's therefore, that therefore is there because he wants you to remember everything he just said. This is what God has done. This is is what God has done in your life. This is what God is doing in the world. Now let's talk about your work in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean, ambassadors? What does it mean to be an ambassador? Um, Tim Keller likes to say missionaries. That's a good word. Um, Another word is spokesman. We speak on behalf of someone greater. That's what we're doing. We're an ambassador. There's someone greater that's got a message. And let me tell you, it's the best message in the world. And we are his ambassador. We're not the saver. We're not the savior. We're not the one that's going to save anybody. We don't have the magic words um, where we can do it. We are just the ambassador. We're the spokesman. And as we speak, the Holy Spirit comes behind those words. And as they come out of our mouth and we say the gospel, just like three minutes ago when I said it, it wasn't even me. As I said it, the Holy Spirit came behind those words out of my mouth and he took those things and now guides on the forefront. And this is the way he's chosen to save people. God has chosen to save people by you and I speaking the gospel. That's what it says in Romans 10. He could have just been a fisherman. He could have just thrown a fishing pole down on earth and, and hook somebody and pulled them up to heaven. He, he could save anybody the way he wants to. But that's not how he's chosen to save. He's chosen to save by letting us be the fishers of men. And we do that by speaking. And when you speak, Speak the gospel, this powerful message. You you say, how is this message so powerful? All I did is say Jesus died. Well, that's what it says. The Bible says, Romans 1, 16 and 17, it's the power of God to save. This message is not like anything else. I can say, go Gamecocks. There's no message. There's no power behind that. In my life, there might be. But if I say go Clemson, there's clearly no power behind that. But if I say God in Christ has died on the cross for you, Power. The Holy Spirit likes when you talk about that. And he comes and he reaches through those words and he reaches into the heart of people. And then if your heart has been regenerated and you started seeing the beauty of Christ on the cross, that's whenever he starts saving you. That's amazing. Therefore, we are ambassadors. That's what it means to be an ambassador. You are always, always an ambassador. You are always the spokesman. You're not the spokesman on Sunday and Wednesdays and your community group day or whatever. You're the spokesman for Jesus all the time. That's why he says in verse 14, Christ's love controls us. We have concluded that one has died, and I don't live for myself anymore. I only live for Christ. That's how you remember you're the ambassador. Oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to live for myself. I'm supposed to live for Christ. What am I supposed to do? I'm the ambassador. I speak. Now, here's the deal. God making... Oh, this is so beautiful. We are the ambassadors for Christ. And what does that mean? God making his appeal through us. 
Can you just imagine? I mean, seriously, the God that created everything in the world is making an, an appeal through you to the heart of an unbeliever and drawing them to himself. That is, that is an honor to be used by God to be able to do that. An honor. And then it says this. We, all right, so now we've switched. Let me just put up number three. I want you to go ahead and see number three. All right, what's our work? We're ambassadors. There it is. What's our work? That's our work. Our work is so much more encouraging to do whenever we continually remember verse 19, that God's reconciling the world to himself. So as we do it, we already know he's already gone on a thousand years from 2011. He, in 3011, he's got it covered. In 4011, he's got it covered. In 5011, he's already been reconciling those people before they've even been born. From eternity past, he knows who's going to be saved. So our ambassador work, it's covered by God. So this idea, oh, it's all up to me if I don't say it right. I mean, yeah, in a sense, you don't want to just tell them, hey, you're going to hell. Get out of here. You, know, you don't want to do those things. Of, of course, you want to speak with some gospel clarity and show some compassion and love. But in the end... We know that we're ambassadors and God's already gone before us and he's reconciling the world to himself and we're the ones that are supposed to be ambassadors. Now, here's the, one of the most, I think, convicting parts of the text for us. When we're talking about our work there in verse 20, we implore you, we implore you on behalf of Christ. We implore you. All right. What does that mean when we talk about implore? Para kaleo. Implore. Para kaleo. It's translated implore in this text in the ESV. Some other words are this summon, call upon, admonish, beg, entreat. It says that in Luke 15, that the older, that the father went out to the older brother. You know that, you know in Luke 15, where the, the, the prodigal son came home and they're throwing the big party and the big baby older brother's out in the, out in the back and he's like, I didn't even get a goat. He got everything, he didn't even get a goat. And then the father comes out to him and it says that the father entreated the older brother, come in, your brother's home. This is the same idea. Implores him. He begs him. This is what our message is. As we go and as we are ambassadors, it says, God's making his appeal through us. What is our posture as we are ambassadors? What is the, the posture of our heart and the compassion of our lips supposed to look like? We implore you on Christ's behalf. We parakaleo you. We are begging you. We are entreating you. So it's not just some... Hey, sinner, repent. That's not at all. There is a deep, deep brokenheartedness for the loss. There's a pastor in Texas. His name's Matt Carter. Um, big church. Uh, and I was listening to a podcast that he did. I don't know if this was a Q&A or a sermon. I can't remember. But he said this one little thing. It was, a, it was like a conference for church planners, basically. It was just podcasting. And this is what he said. He goes, I don't really even get in interviews anymore. But when I do interviews, I, they let me come in and I ask one question and then I'm out. And this is the only question I ask. And I was like, all right, I want to hear this. One pastor of a huge church is going to ask one question. What is it? This is what he asks every staffer that comes in. He says, when's the last time the gospel brought you to tears? And if they can't answer the question, they're not hired. Wow, that's pretty, pretty intense. If you don't have a good memory. Um, 
I think that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. The only way you're going to implore is that you're constantly living day by day that the gospel brings you to tears. You, you simply can't get over the fact that God has saved you. That's when you will beg. That's when you will entreat. That's when your heart will be so filled with compassion for what God has done in your life. You can't not beg people to listen to you. That's what missional living is. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Your trespasses don't have to be counted against you. You implore them. This doesn't mean that you have some kind of forced cry session just so you can feel like you're right. I remember one time um, I was downstairs studying. I don't remember what was going on. It was, it was kind of late at night and I was listening to a song. And it was, the song was talking about the gospel and it just kind of overwhelmed me. God overwhelmed me. And uh, it's like midnight. I don't remember. Christy comes downstairs <laughs> and sees me sitting at the kitchen table just crying like a baby. It's like midnight. And it's kind of weird for, you, for a wife to walk out at midnight and see her husband just sitting at the table crying like a baby. She's like, what's wrong with you? What are you crying for? She had no idea what I was doing. And I'm like, it's just, he saved us. He saved us. And some people don't know yet. And she's like, what are you talking about? But I mean, this is, I mean, it's kind of awkward, you know, but at the same time, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like there are moments where you just can't get over. You simply can't get over that God would choose to save you. That's why, and that's how I should say, you're going to be the kind of person that's going to go and implore people, beg and entreat them to come be reconciled to God. We, uh, we're not going to have time for service, so I'm just going to go straight to my conclusion. I have a couple verses I want you to see as we go into the conclusion. We're going to do service next week with community, hopefully. But let me show you um, something that's just revolutionized the way I've thought about Christ and the gospel. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. This is talking about Christ and what he's done. And looking to the cross, this is what Christ did. Look, notice the language here. Looking to Jesus is what it's telling us to do. We're supposed to look to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, notice this right here, for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so I look at that and I'm like, joy? What's joyful about dying? What's joyful about being beat so badly they can't recognize your face? What's joyful about being whipped 39 times? What's joyful about having your backbone exposed and carrying a cross? I don't understand what's joyful about the cross. For the joy, set, not for the pain set before him, before the utter sheer um, 
despised set before him, he went and endured the cross. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why is that, why is that joyful? Because of what the cross did. The cross is the centerpiece of all human history that shines out like a big spotlight the glory of God more than anything else that's ever happened. It's just blowing out the glory of God. And so he sees this from eternity past. There's a moment coming where I, the Son, am going to get to go and I'm going to get to illuminate the world with the glory of God. And so from eternity past he sees it and even from eternity future as he looks back, he doesn't necessarily think, oh, pain, maybe he does, but he sees the glory of God is being shined, shown out most brightly at the cross. And so for the, for the joy set before me, I see the glory of God being made known to this entire world. I'm going to go there because Christ, just like we should be, is all about the glory of God. That's what he, that's what he continually wants to shine into your heart and that's what he continually wants to make, make known and magnified is his own glory. Now, his joy is the glory of God. Our joy is the glory of God. Let me read you a text in Matthew that shows you this. Um, this might be a very familiar text, but this is Matthew 13, very familiar little one-verse parable. But this is what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. So he goes into this field, he finds the treasure, and he sees that this is an unbelievable treasure. So he covered it up, and he left it and never came back. No. Look what happens. Um, Then, look at this. In his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has so that he can come back and buy that field. In his joy, not, well... Somebody finally told him the gospel and he got reeled in and so he's got to just say, all right, God, you saved me, fine, you got me. I'm going to do everything you want now. I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to start doing the right... No, no. In his joy. What's his joy there? It says that it's the, the kingdom of heaven is his joy. The kingdom of heaven is where the glory of God is made known to us. So the glory of God is Christ's joy and the glory of God is our own joy. And so as we're going through life in missional living, as we're imploring people to come and be made known disciples because we've been radically revolutionized by the fact that God would save us, the main thing that we're wanting people to see, yes, is the forgiveness of sins, but also, more than that, is that they would see the glory of God and the fact that we get to join in with all of creation and making known this glory manifest to all the world. That's our greatest joy. That's what we're doing when we're reconciling the world. We're showing them, hey, your trespasses don't have to be counted against you. Sin can be forgiven. But more than that, you get to join in the process with all creation of making the glory of God known. Putting it on display. The glory of God is the most primary thing in the world. And so back to Ephesians 4. You don't even have to flip, you know it. My job is to equip you to do the work of ministry, which is to reflect the glory of God to this world and let's make disciples. So I'm going to pray and we've gone, we're going into our time of worship. I kind of explained this last week, but we do all of our worship at the end of the sermon, which means we pray that the Holy Spirit is moved in your life. We pray that the Holy Spirit is 
um, done some things in your heart, and we want to allow time for you to process. We're going to have a few songs here, and we want to allow you time to process. Maybe you need to sit, think, and pray and read the scriptures for a song or two. Maybe you just want to stand. You're ready to stand now. You're exploding. Bud, just pray. I'm ready to stand. I'm exploding right now. Then, by all means, we want you to do that. But we want you to have a little time to breathe here and reflect and pray and think and before we go out and talk about college football next weekend or something, before we go out and talk about lunch, use this time, these next 15 to 20 minutes, to think, to pray, to meditate on Christ and His gospel. Asking God to convict you of the things. Maybe your life isn't reflecting His glory the way it should. Maybe you haven't um, rested in the forgiveness that He's given you. Maybe you don't feel this angst inside of you to implore those, to beg those people to come to know Christ. I don't know. I'm going to pray, and I just pray that you would use this time. In whatever way the Holy Spirit's leading you. Let's pray. Lord, I know the Scripture says that I'm an ambassador and that we are ambassadors. And the confession in my heart is, Lord, that um, as, <coughs> as much as I want to walk around with this deep angst of love of the gospel because it wrecks, wrecks my heart and it brings me to tears as I consider what Christ has done and it brings me to tears as I consider those who don't know Christ and I want to have a, an attitude of imploring people, begging people, entreating people. I, I don't every day. I don't all day. I don't, I don't feel it but I want to. I know that I want to. I want to grow in that every day. I want to grow into that maturity in Christ every day. And I know that doesn't gain anything in the end. I know that I'm completely justified, but I know that I can be sanctified through that. I know that I can be made more like Christ through that. And so, Lord, if there's any of my friends here today that feel that same weight Would you lead us to repentance of our lack of love for our fellow man? Lead us to repentance for our lack of brokenness and lack of amazement of the gospel. But always when you convict and lead us to repentance, your kindness does it because you want to comfort us with the Spirit. So would you also comfort us in the gospel and what Christ has done and give us this indelible joy that we have. That we get to be used by you to reflect the glory of God to this world. What a privilege. You are making an appeal through us when we tell someone the gospel. And we're joining in with what you're already doing. Reconciling the world to yourself. That's an encouragement. It's not up to me, it's up to you. But I know that I get to be a part of it. That we get to be a part of it. So be with us now as we worship. Fill us with the Spirit. And may we worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray.